And I'm making him move it whenever I use the flip chart from now. No, closer. get it over here closer to this, man. Come on. <laughs> you got to get this right. Thanks, Maurice. Is that good? That's perfect, Bill. Okay, good, good. Thank good, you. Good, good. good I'm work. make sure yeah. you're all set with your flip chart. <laughs> yeah, now you can go. Yeah, yeah thanks. Yeah. Um, hey, we're, <laughs> we're glad you're here. My name's Jim, and uh, if I haven't met you yet, I know I'm sure we got a bunch of visitors here, so uh, welcome. Thanks for, thanks for coming to Ascent. So uh, like Bill said, we're just a, gosh, about a three-and-a-half-year-old church, um, and Bill and I both have kind of long roots around here. I actually grew up in Boulder and went to Eisenhower Elementary and Burbank Middle School, which is now Manhattan, and then went to Fairview, Sco Knights. Uh, uh, and and I... I, I <laughs> I love that you guys are sitting like in the rock pile section or something. Um, I, I want to say, though, I really love Monarch, okay? Uh, let's just be clear. So um, I love Monarch. Uh, and then I went to Colorado, went to CU. So I've uh, been around here a while, got a long time. So we love this area. Um, I'm a little confused, though, why anybody's here. Weren't we all supposed to be in Wyoming this week? And like, <laughs> Seriously, is anybody leaving after the service or tonight to go to the... We got a couple people going up to see the eclipse. Okay, that's cool. It's so funny because we plan like these big Sundays like this where we do this kickoff thing. And I, trust me, I am dialed into the Broncos schedule. Whenever we plan anything church-related, I'm like, and not, not just for you, it's for me, right? You know, I, I make sure there's not conflicts as best as possible. It never occurred to me to look at the eclipse schedule and see like that, that one hadn't crossed my mind yet. So... But I'm glad it worked out. So we're really glad that you're here. Um, I want to start by, I don't even have fun. I want to start by telling you a little bit of a sad story. Uh, I, a few years ago, I was working somewhere. And there was another guy that I was kind of assigned to work on a project with pretty closely. We had to work a lot together. And uh, one day, uh, you know, we're, we're going down the road on this big project. And I'll be honest, I, I just did not like the way this guy was doing it. I didn't like it. And so I went to him and just said, you know, um, you're doing this wrong. Now, he responded to me. Uh, turns out that I was the only one that was feeling that way. Uh, he thought that I wasn't doing it right. And so he said, oh, yeah, you're not doing it right. And so um, I didn't like how he was doing it. He didn't like how I was doing it. But I didn't like how he said that he didn't like the way that I was doing it. And so I told him, I said, I, I don't like the way you just told me that you don't like the way that I was doing it. <laughs> and I was mad. And so he said back to me, you know what, I don't like the way that you just told me that you didn't like the way that I told you that I don't like the way that you're doing it. And ping pong, we started going, and I'm telling you, you guys know what I'm talking about. You get into a relationship of some kind like this, and it starts to do this, just like you flush the toilet, and it's spiraling down. And we had that going on, back and forth, and we're supposed to work together. Man, um, I don't know if you've ever had this. This went on for two months, and I'm telling you, for those entire two months, my eyelid twitched. <laughs> Have you ever had that, where your eyelid goes and I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and my eyelids twitching, and I'd wake up all day long. I'm, I'm having a conversation with somebody, and I feel like, gosh, they're watching my eyelids, you know. I was so stressed out for those two months because it got to the point where I would drive up to the building, and I would look, and I would see his car, and my heart would go, oh, jeez. 
You ever had that? You know what I'm talking about? Guys, um, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to spend these next four weeks. You join us a great time. We're going to spend these next four weeks looking at relationships. And we're going to look at what is it, how do we invest in and have great relationships in our life? And I'm not just talking about, you know, uh, romantic relationships or dating, anything like that. No, 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 no. We're going to talk about principles that you see in the Bible and you see in the life of Jesus that can push forward your relationships in a positive way. Uh, we're, we're calling the uh, series Love Handles. And um, it was ju- I just was looking in the mirror one day and I got inspired and that was the name that like came to me. I'm like, that's it. That's the name of our next series right there. I see it right there. Um, so it's called, it's called Love Handles. And the idea is getting a grip on your relationships. Here's the deal. You think about relational disaster. Some of us have been through those. Most disasters you can recover from. Relational disasters, whoo. You think about like financial disaster, I go into debt, you know, like uh, declare bankruptcy, tried a new business, didn't work out. You can imagine paying off that debt, recovering from that, and someday telling somebody the story of how you know, you came back from it. Educational disaster, got an F on the test, failed a class even, you can recover from that. You know, professional, let's say I got a bad review or man, maybe I got fired even. You can recover from that. You can, you can imagine yourself telling the story someday of how, man, I came back from that, pulled myself bootstraps and all, you know, that kind of thing. Relational disasters? We all know those are a lot harder to recover from. Here, here's what I want to just throw out to you. I think it's worth, I'll I just throw this out. Is it worth your next four weeks to spend time here learning from the master himself? Trust me, that's not me. <laughs> learning from Jesus. Jesus who created relationships, designed us. Guys, relationships, not our idea. That's Jesus' idea. He probably has something to say into this. We're going to look at the scripture and we're going to see what does the Bible have to say about relationships. Guys, I am so convinced that the stuff that the Bible talks about with relationships is valuable. And I'll be honest, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, I think the stuff you'll find, you'll be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I'm so convinced that this can reshape and help make your relationships healthy. I, I will make you a personal guarantee. You come these next four weeks and you try to implement some of the stuff that the Bible talks about with relationships, and if you don't see a relationship or some of the relationships in your life improve, I personally guarantee you, Bill will buy lunch for you, okay? <laughs> so just talk to him here in a few weeks if that doesn't work out, and he'll, he'll just take care of you over at Panera Bread or something. No, I, I, I really do. I believe this. I believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about when it comes to this. So, so you want to dive in? Let's, let's, and I want, you to, I want you to think about this as we go. Frame it. I, I, as soon as I started talking about this, I can almost guarantee every person in this room thought of somebody. You thought of somebody that you know that you're like, man, this relationship isn't what it's supposed to be. And you're thinking about that. And I want you to think about that relationship as we walk through this. So what I want to do is um, we're going to, we're going to frame the whole series under uh, a passage that, you know, if you've been to a wedding, you've heard. Uh, it's, uh, there's a guy named Paul. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. Uh, 
He wrote letters to people. Sometimes when you see those names in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, those are actually letters that were written to different churches in different cities. And so we're going to look at a passage that's out of what's called 1 Corinthians. It's the first letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. And the reason I'm talking about this, don't ever take the Bible out of, you've got to read it in its context. Things get weird when we take the Bible and isolate it. You've got to read the Bible in context. Paul is writing this letter to Corinth. Corinth is a city, just think Las Vegas. That's what it's like. Crazy place, lots of weird stuff going on. But the people in this city are, there's some arrogance there. There's some like, uh, hey, we're going to argue over what makes so-and-so better than so-and-so, or namely what makes me better than you. And Paul addresses this, and he's like, look, all this stuff may be true here and there, but I'll tell you what, there is one thing that if you don't have, it doesn't matter how gifted you are, it doesn't matter how you know, great you think, none of it matters unless you have this, and it's love. And Paul defines love from a scriptural perspective in 1 Corinthians 13. Man, it's a little different than what you're going to find in the mass media. It's pretty cool. Look at this. We're going to walk through this together. So this is, uh, this is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 4, and it says this. Love is patient and kind. And I, what I want to do is I'm going I'm to read this, but I want to kind of just give you a couple sentences here and there on each one of these. Let's not fly through this. Love is patient and kind. You ever heard the term that love is blind? Not true. Man, here's the deal. If love was blind, patience wouldn't be required, would it? Think about this. Patience means that love sees in someone else some of their faults. Love understands that someone is limited, that doesn't live up to what we want them to, and yet sticks with it. This word, patience, means to suffer for a long time. Love is willing to suffer in patience, believing in this other person. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Next slide. The idea here, guys, love's not arrogant. You think about um, how many relationships we have. This relationship that I had with this poor guy at work, if one of us could have just gotten over our pride for a second, Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Love means you take a position of humility. Man, can you imagine how that would radically reshape so much of that we see today in the world around us? Love isn't jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not selfish. Love doesn't come to the table saying, I got to get my peace. Instead, love comes to the table saying, I want to make sure you get yours. Love is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. Some of you are like, man, well, that sounds good, but you're not married to my spouse. You know, like, uh, I remember that I said something the other day, and my wife pointed out to me, hey, you know, that bad thing that you just did, that reminds me of what you said back in April of 2009, and uh, that was not good. So uh, that's not my wife, by the way, but... Um, Sounds like some of yours. Um, we'll talk about it another time. Uh, no, no, love's not, love's not irritable. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. It's not sitting there waiting for you to goof up. 
It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. You know what love doesn't do? Love doesn't sit at the door at curfew time. And when the kid comes home 10 minutes late, says, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you'd be late. That's not love. There's something in that that's rejoicing in something that's gone wrong. No, love doesn't rejoice in that injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Then look at these, how he phrases it here. Love never gives up. How often? Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Whew. I don't know about you, this is getting, like the other stuff, I could see rude, okay, like I'm in a house with boys and my poor wife, like that one's a hard one to live up to, but some of the other ones I can live up, but this one, look, look, at the, look at the words, this is the New Living Translation, you want to see this get hiked up a bit, look at what the NIV says about this, the, the New International Version translation of the Bible, it says, always, love always protects, it means it guards, it's willing to fight in there, it sticks with, it's like, no, that's worth it. Love always trusts. That's the, the um, believe verb in the Bible. This verb in the Bible, uh, it, that, means, that means it's not just how you feel. Notice that we've said nothing so far about romance. Nothing about who's hot and who's not. None of that. We've, Paul's defining love in a different way. It always, try, it always believes. That means it's not just my feelings, it's my head, but it's more than that. It's an action. It's a verb. Jesus was the master at taking the word love, which we sometimes use as a noun, and say, no, 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 it's actually a verb. You got to do. You got to act. That's what that word means. It always acts. It moves on behalf of someone else. It always hopes. There's nothing like a human, come on, there's nothing like a human being that injects hope into your soul. Man, love always does that. It injects hope. It is the one ingredient you cannot live without hope. Love injects that always into somebody else, and it always perseveres. It sticks in there. It hangs on. It doesn't let go. And then the next verse says, love never fails. So always, 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 and it never fails. If you're looking at this and you're like, yeah, good luck. Like, how in the world am I supposed to do that? If you think that about that, you're getting the point. That's good. I, that's how I feel. And that's the bar that Paul is setting here saying, this is what love is. What if we tried to live into that? Now, here's a question for you with all these always, with all this perfect ideal, we read these at weddings and then, you know, five years later they can't stand each other, right? We see that. How, how, do, how does that happen? How do we get from those always to the brokenness that we see? Was Paul kind of naive thinking that we could actually possibly live up to that standard? What's Paul doing with this? I want to I show you, I, here's why I don't think he's naive. Here's what I think he's saying. I want to show you, uh, this is a little kind of illustration, a guy named Andy Stanley I saw use. I just thought it helped frame this in such a good way. He, here's what I think Paul's getting. If you think about the relationships that you have, I'm talking, you name it, can be any kind of relationship. 
maybe one that doesn't feel right right now. You think about that relationship. Every single one of us has a few things that are true about our relationships. One of them is everybody's got expectations around your relationships. Come on, you start a new job. Don't you expect that your boss is going to like invest in you and hopefully, you know, uh, make you somebody that grows into the job that you just got? You, you move into a na- new neighborhood. Don't you expect that your neighbors are going to be kind and kind of, you know, treat you with respect and privacy? You, you, you get married. Don't you expect that your spouse is going to be emotionally available? You know, uh, I got a friend that I tell something to that's, that's private. Don't you have an expectation of that friend that it's going to stay confidential and not end up on their Facebook page? I order pizza. I expect it to show up in 30 minutes. I got a relationship with you now, man. Show up in 30 minutes. We have expectations for like every single relationship that we enter into. There's something else, though, that we have. We not only have expectations. Oh, boy. We got something else. We have... We have our experience. There's an expectation of what the relationship's going to be like. And then there's reality. I- anybody notice that sometimes your expectations for a relationship, the way you think about your neighbors, your coworkers, your parents, whatever it is, that these don't always match up? So, man, I moved in the neighborhood expecting privacy, and my neighbors just throw loud parties all the time. something funny happens. There starts to be a gap between what I expect and what I'm experiencing. I got married. Man, while we were engaged, the guy was so engaged with me. And then we got married and football season happened. (laughs) You know? By the way, Let's just be honest. Um, we're in trouble this October. Um, I'm looking ahead. I'm very in tune with this. The Broncos, hopefully, will still not be out of it. Uh, there will be Rockies baseball in October this year, guys. Come on. Um, and the Nuggets are getting better. Uh, the Avs stink, but that's a different story. But there's going to be four teams that are pl- like, man, my poor wife. So this gap is going to grow. Or, you know, your friend just blab something that you expected that, you know, to keep private. Or you started a new class, you're expecting that the teacher, your professor, would uh, actually invest in you, and it turns out that really what they care about is their research, you know? Or, um, God forbid, we order a pizza and we expect 30 minutes, and like 45 minutes later, we're like, what is going on here? Every relationship you have has an expectation, it has experience, and it has a gap between the two. There is actually nothing that we can do about this. There's, there's no way around having a gap, unless maybe some of you are like, you know, oh, I'm just going to live an Eeyore life and just have expectations down here. I don't know, maybe that's a creative way to get by this. But for the rest of us, We've got expectations, we've got an experience, and we have a gap between the two. 
Here's what Paul is saying. Oh, man. Paul, when he's defining love, and you see this in the life of Jesus, Paul is saying, you're not going to be able to do much about your expectations. You're not going to be able to do too much about your experiences. But what you can do, what every single human being can do, is you get to choose what goes here. You get to choose what goes in the gap. If I look at that scripture, I think about that 1 Corinthians 13 passage, if I had to take all that stuff, love is patient, love is kind, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not boast. If I had to take all that stuff and I had to sum it up and you gave me three words, I really believe what Paul is trying to say is, man, you love somebody, you love somebody, you look at those words, it means you absolutely believe the best. You believe the best in that other person. You choose when there's a gap between expectation and experience to go, darn it, I'm going to believe the best. I am going to fight and believe the best in that person. And if you have ever experienced this yourself because you've fallen short like I have in this, you know that when somebody does this for you, it is unbelievably powerful. The power of loving somebody genuinely like this. This this is the person that goes, I see a gap. I see that you're late. I see that you hung out with those people again that I had asked you not to. I see that the pizza guy's late again. But somehow I'm going to believe the best. It takes an incredible amount of humility of putting your heart on the line to do this, to genuinely love somebody through the gap. But you know, you experience this, you know how powerful this is. Equally as powerful is the other stuff you can choose to fill this gap with. Anger, disappointment, shame. Man, if I had to say what's, what's the opposite of this, Man, it's assuming the worst. Yeah, we, we agreed to that budget. I knew that you wouldn't keep it. Gosh, you know, I told you that about my friend, and yeah, you, I, I absolutely knew that it would end up in the wrong hands. I knew, I knew I shouldn't have trusted you. Guys, when we assume the worst in another person, and I'm doing it right now with people in my life, I pretty much guarantee you, if you're honest, there's, this is happening in your life too. I actually think we are taking steps in, this is so sad to say, we are shutting down that relationship. A relationship actually cannot survive in this cycle. Man, I think back again to that coworker of mine. Oh, if one of us could have had the unbelievable courage to look at each other and go, you know, I want, even, even if you can say to somebody else, I want to trust you. I, I want to believe in you. There is still hope. It's, it's when we get to that point where we are met with this at every step of the way that a relationship actually starts to die. I think this is so powerful. I actually think um, if you assume the worst in someone else, 
you can actually, in my opinion, take somebody who is trustworthy and turn them into somebody that's untrustworthy, at least in your relationship with them. It's a predictor. It kind of shoots ahead of someone and, and kind of like an arrow charts the path for who they're going to become. For any of you that have had somebody do this, for the, that has become an arrow that has moved ahead of you. And what it does is it helps to shrink the gap. I know some of us are just like, okay, sounds good, but you don't know my spouse. You don't know my boss. You don't know my neighbors. You don't know my friends. It's a valid point. But I would challenge you to think of those words always, always, with humility, Continuing to put forward this idea of like this is what we see in the life of Christ and this is how Paul is defining love and how we shrink the gap. Some of us maybe are doing this and we don't even know it. We hardly realize it. I think there's one, um, there's one way that you can tell if you're doing this without knowing it. It's when you realize there's a gap between your expectations and your experience, and it goes unaddressed. Let me, let me ask you this. What happens? What happens when there's a gap between here and here that doesn't get talked about? Man, you guys know an unaddressed gap grows. It gets bigger. Jesus is so great. Jesus... Um, Jesus, he doesn't give you step-by-step formulas on how to live. He just doesn't. And, and there's nothing that you can read in the Bible where Jesus is like, hey, you know what, if you want to fall in love, here's the five ways to do it. Or um, you got teenagers, here's the ten steps to raise perfect teenagers. He, Jesus doesn't give you formulas. There's really only one spot that I find in the scripture where you get kind of a like, here's a little rubric to run through. You know what it's for? It's in Matthew 18, and it's talking about relational brokenness. It's talking about when, those relationship, when a relationship experiences a gap. And the first thing Jesus says on how he teaches us how to roll through that is he says, you got to address it. First step. You sense a gap, you go to the person. Uh, I saw this a few weeks ago. Um, I know you guys, you guys experience us as, you know, here we are, the church, you know, come in here, there's a zebra outside, whatever, right? And we have our good time on Sundays. And, um, but we have a whole other culture, too, that is our staff. We've got a staff of people that work as part of the church. We work really closely together. That's our Monday to Friday group where we're getting ready for this. We are working with kids and students. We're working with the community on stuff that we're doing around uh, here locally. We do stuff in Cuba that we're working on. So there's a lot of, we have to work a lot together and really closely and it really requires a team. And that's a piece of who we are that most of you don't necessarily, how would you get to experience very often? And just like you have a culture at work, we've got the same thing, right? We've got our culture here that we have. And sometimes, <gasps> there's conflict. And so a couple weeks ago, I sent 
Becky, our worship pastor, I sent Becky an email, and I was just like, she's out of town, and I said, hey, Becky, uh, here's some stuff that I'm thinking, and uh, I was given just some ideas, you know, and I was all proud of myself, and there was a group of us brainstorming about something, so I sent her this long email, and uh, Becky opens it, and Becky reads it, and Becky doesn't think, wow, what a, what a very nice gesture that Jim just made and thinking through this stuff. Becky's, Becky's interpretation of the email was that I was micromanaging her. Who likes to be micromanaged? Nobody. In fact, I went back and read the email later and was like, yeah, I can see why. Um, no, but that was her impression. Now, Becky had a choice at that point. Becky could have done this. Becky could have gone home to Nathan and said, that Jim, such a jerk. Always trying to micromanage me, you know. Uh, can you believe this? Let's read it again. Um, <laughs> come on, we do that. <laughs> that's, that's what Becky could have chosen to do. What Becky did instead was she gets back from her trip, and she, she gives me a quick text one day, hey, um, can I, you mind if we sit down and talk about that email you wrote me? I'd love to chat about that, and let's get Bill in on it, and let's the three of us sit down and talk it over. We came right in this room, sat down. She looks at me. You know how hard this is to do? You know how hard it is to look at somebody? She looks at me, and she goes, Jim, I just feel like you were trying to micromanage me. And I went, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, oh, no, 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 no. Here's what I meant. I was doing this, and I was writing that, and I was thinking this, and we were all brainstorming together, and we got excited, and so we sent you this thing, and, and she, she said to me, you know, Jen, it felt a little bit like if, um, if I were telling you how to preach, like what, what illustrations you could use, you know, like just that didn't feel good. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Oh, thank God she didn't do this. This is, this is what happens when we do not address the gap. If, if we believe this, why wouldn't we ask the person about it? If we believe the best in someone else, we, we would address that with them. If we assume the worst, we're going to let it go. And we're going to talk to our spouses or our friends or, you know, do passive-aggressive Facebook posts about it. And the gap will grow. Instead of actually saying, no, 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 I'm going to address, this is exactly how Jesus says to follow it. Becky followed it. Man, and I'll tell you what, thank God. Because I think because she did that, I still don't need, I'm not a great boss, right? But at least because she believed the best in me enough to talk about it, those expectations shrink. Because I want to ask you this week, who's the relationship in your life that you're thinking about and that gap is going unaddressed. And you're, I know we're sitting going, oh man, but you know how hard it is to actually address this? You know how, I'm not a conflict person, right? If you're not a conflict person, you're the perfect person to do this. Conflict people, like, you know, they can't wait to address the gap. <laughs> you know? It, if you actually have some compassion and you're afraid to address the gap, that probably means you're going to handle it well. But don't let it get bigger. Follow in with what Jesus is saying and go, you know what? Okay, I'm going to go. 
I'm gonna do this. I believe, I believe the best enough in that person and I'm always hoping about the, the long term of this relationship that it is worth it for me to address this. Here's the thing I love. This is not about self-help. This is not a, a relational seminar. You know why we do this? We were created by God. And in Genesis, it says we were created in God's image. Whew. That's some expectation. Created in God's image? I don't know about you. Who I am? There, uh, Gap's big between the way I was created and what I was created for and the actual experience of who I am. Oh man, that's a big gap. Guys, the incredible mystery and wonder of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that the first thing that happens in this is that Jesus Christ does this with us. Jesus Christ believes the best in you. Has anyone ever told you that before? Have you maybe gone through life going, man, I got this God guy, he just, he's waiting for me to screw up. He's ready to zap me. He can't wait to punch my ticket to hell. Guys, God doesn't assume the worst in you. No way. You don't die on a cross. You do not go through what Jesus went through if you don't believe the best in someone. Thank you, Lord, for that. So this isn't about just like how do we make our relationships better. It is, but it's really coming from the idea that God did this in our lives. God, this is in your life first. Man, how do we turn that around this week? Lord, uh, easier said than done. I just want to pray that you would help us. And I know um, I'd be shocked if every person in this room didn't have a gap that they are desperate to see shrunk. Would you help us these next few weeks as we walk through this to see how, Lord, can we move toward health? I just, I pray for this crew. I pray for myself. I pray so much that you would take that relationship that is hurting and broken and you would give us, give me, give each person in this room some kind of supernatural, crazy, Holy Spirit courage that we would be moved to address the gap in a way that says, I believe in you. Give us the humility to do that. Lord, we love you. Thanks for loving us first. And we commit this to you in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jim. Hey, but I know.